0: Hi, this is Timothy Zahn, author of Star Wars Thrawn. You're listening to Living Force Podcast. Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. The Emperor has been expecting you, a UTini production. Episode 6, Dooku, Jedi Lost Roundtable Discussion, Part 1. On this episode, the Utini team has a mini freakout over the new Vanity Fair article on the rise of Skywalker. I'll never turn to the dark side. New characters are introduced ahead of the release of Alphabet Squadron. You rebel scum. And a discussion on Dooku Jedi Lost.
1: When 900 years old, you reach, look as
0: good you are not. And now, here are your hosts, Eric Eilerson and Dr. Charles Hankel.
2: Oh, it's gonna be such an intimate session. I know, just, then there were two. Queen Shadow Part 2. Part Or part two, <laughs> part two. I guess. Yeah,
1: forget the outline. Let's just talk about Queen's Shadow. <laughs>
2: Guys, we know why you're all really here. It's to hear about Queen's Shadow. <laughs> Charles' favorite novel. Rick's. Of all time. Of all time. Rick probably got it all tattooed on his body. Oh, man. no. But Now that Corey's not here, it's the inmates are running the asylum. Finally.
1: Basically. But, I mean, like you were just saying, this, this is going to happen. I mean, you as an actor are, you know, on an unpredictable schedule. Corey and I, when we start residency, it's going to be the same way. So, this is going to happen, but... You know, we'll make it work. A couple of us at a time. Exactly.
2: It's all going to be a complete living nightmare. (laughs) But on that note, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode six, Return of the Jedi of the Living Force Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and with me today on this intimate, glorious episode is none other than Dr. Charles Henkel.
1: What's up, dude? Hey, what's going on? I uh, have to stand in for Corey today, so I will occasionally crap on iJedi, just out of the blue. (laughs) Excellent.
2: You are are, uh, representing all doctors, I think, today, all medical professionals. Oh, no
1: pressure. No pressure at all.
2: Yeah. So, yes, as you may have heard, uh, it's just me and Charles today, everyone. Uh, Corey had another commitment, and we just decided, you know what? I just want to talk to you, Charles, about Dooku Jedi Lost. That's really all I want to do the whole day. So here we are. (laughs)
1: Yeah, we don't need Corey for that. Absolutely not. Come on. Come on. We know
2: he's not listening to this anyway, so we can get away with anything.
1: We can (laughs) say whatever the heck we want. We can.
2: Uh, So, this episode, uh, as I just spoiled, I'm jumping ahead of myself so hard, uh, is going to be all about Dooku Jedi Lost. Uh, But before we get into that, we'll try to keep some semblance of format. We might fail. We're probably going to fail. But we'll do our best. (laughs) This week, not necessarily Utini news, but Star Wars news... We got a huge Vanity Fair article, and oh yeah, we I, I know did. we're an EU podcast, but man, we can't not talk about this,
1: right? No. Oh, of course. This is one of the biggest things that we have to look forward to besides like actual trailers before all of these sequel films.
2: Exactly. So, for those of you that may not know, the all the sequel films of Star Wars have gotten their own Vanity Fair spread before their release, and this past week, we got to see the first really official stills outside the teaser of Rise of Skywalker. We got pictures of Rey and Kylo with their sabers, probably on top of the Death Star. We got my favorite picture, which is Finn and Janna on their horses while she's shooting a bow side saddle. We got Lando and Poe and Chewie and the Falcon. Like, Man, this those like, came out at 8 a.m., and it my whole day was just charged.
1: Oh, I know. It, it was all just tweeting about it, going... First of all, the article, I mean, you mentioned the pictures, Mm -hmm. and it's always the same photographer who does those pictures for Vanity Fair, Annie Leibovitz, and she takes some of the coolest pictures, I swear. And so those were awesome, but the article itself was really good, and it actually gave us more information than we've gotten before. I mean, now we have, like, the name of the desert planet that we see in the trailer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Pasana. So, you know, big surprise there. It's not Tatooine. It's not Jakku. So... I mean, we got lots of little tidbits like that. I think they have officially confirmed that it's uh, Rise of Skywalker is taking place approximately one year mm-hmm. after The Last Jedi. So lots of little things like that. If you haven't read the article, you definitely should, if not just for the pictures, then for those little bits of info that we got. Yeah, I
2: mean, we got a confirmation, um, I, uh, something that you and I especially both love, that uh, the Knights of Ren are officially in this movie. Like, we all kind of knew, yes. but they literally put it in the article so we can stop theorizing that they're coming back so i i just oh can't wait for them
1: well i'll tell you i saw something really cool too on twitter and i wish i could give credit to who it was but i don't recall who posted this at the moment but one of the weapons of the knights of ren that we saw in the picture of jj standing with them is apparently in the background in dryden voss's little layer or office mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it so i mean that was exciting. make solo this, 2 this happen baby Like, yes, make uh, Solo 2 happen. If we didn't tweet that enough times. That was
2: also a great day. If any of you were on the hashtag make Solo 2 happen day on the 23rd, I think it was.
1: Yep, um, yep.
2: That was another outpouring of Star Wars awesomeness and positivity. Like, it was a great week to be on Star Wars Twitter. Everyone was freaking out about the article. Everyone was showing their love of Solo. Ron Howard got in on it. John Kasdan. uh, Eunice got in on it. Wow, it was just a great, great week. All coming after our phantom menace freak out i mean we just had the 20th anniversary like my we gosh. did, and
1: we celebrated it hardcore here at the living force we did
2: we did we had our whole episode about how much we love uh phantom menace we had our retrospect um we we have a new review of the novelization that's been up on the site that our buddy rick wrote uh, in honor of the 20th anniversary so if you want your phantom menace news and you didn't get it from our previous episode hit utd.com do that Go check out that Vanity Fair article on your own. Check that out.
1: I got to add this in there too about the Phantom Menace because StarWars.com posted a really cool article that I didn't see until after we recorded that last episode. And it had interview answers from everyone from Rick McCallum to George Lucas to to whoever. Mm -hmm. And they had some really good tidbits in that article, some uh, really just kind of cool answers uh, to questions that I hadn't heard posed before. And I saw one little quote in particular from Ahmed Best, who, as everyone listening to this probably knows, plays Jar Jar Binks. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about the movie now as opposed to when it came out. And he said, and I'll quote, I know the fan backlash of 20 years ago was loud, but that's really all it was. It was just loud. And now we have to be louder in our pride for this thing because we have an army behind us Mm -hmm. of people who love those movies. So I want to just talk about that real quick. Talk about how much I love the sentiment in that I actually tweeted that back at him and I just thanked him for everything that he's done and, and threw some support out to him. Did a hashtag Ahmed's Army and my man liked Dude. it, which is the coolest thing that's ever happened to me on Twitter because y'all know I'm pretty new to it. So that's the coolest thing but ever. you're killing
2: the game because Ahmed Best was like, oh, at C. Henkel? He looks like a doctor that knows what he's talking about. I love it.
1: <laughs> oh,
2: no, all our love to Ahmed. We are part of Ahmed's Army. Absolutely. And, man, I'm just, I'm just so infused with the love for Star Wars this week based on yes. online. So in our show notes, I'm saying it now so we don't forget, we'll have a link to that Vanity Fair article so you can go check those out and share your love as well. Yes. Now, our last thing I want to hit, because we have a lot to talk about with Dooku in this episode, is another reveal we had this week, which was of the upcoming Alphabet Squadron, which is the book coming up by Alexander Freed in two weeks, about? Um, which we're all super excited for over here, and this week we got the full squadron released. So for those of you that don't know, Alphabet Squadron is made up of a bunch of different pilots, they all fly different ships, so like an X-Wing, a U-Wing, Y-Wing, A-Wing, B-Wing, uh, thus the name Alphabet, which is a thing in Star Wars, it's the High Galactic Alphabet, not Arabesh, real thing that I found out. So I threw together an article this past week kind of looking at all of them and I gotta say, man, these are some badass pilots.
1: I am super stoked about all of them. Oh I know. I can't I can't wait, especially the I, I'm not remembering the name right now, but the guy in the mask. Uh the the mask?
2: Kairos, it's a she. Yeah, she's the U Wing oh, pilot. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Kairos. Yes.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about Kairos. Which
2: I heard was like a Catholic thing. Rick was saying that in our Slack
1: channel. Um Oh no! He said that was like the name of like a like a his church's retreat. Yeah. Like, from way back in the yeah. day. Yeah, which is hilarious.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at all these people. We got um, Chas Chaddick is the B-wing pilot, and apparently she is the same uh, race as is it Sanara on Resistance? I think is her name. Okay. Um, okay. So she looks pretty cool. Uh, we have Nath Tencent, who's the Y-wing pilot, who's a survivor. Um, so he's going to be that kind of stereotype. And then we got Will Lark, who looks just like a nice, young, innocent A-wing pilot. And he's oh, kind. He's going to die. He's so dead. He's There's gonna no die. way he's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was it was super cool because uh, Del Rey was tweeting out all week pictures of these pilots rendered next to their ships in a little blurb to kind of get us all ready. Go ahead and join us in our excitement for Alphabet Squadron. Again, if you haven't pre-ordered the, the book, we'll have a link in the show notes about that. Uh, so you can pre-order it through Utini and we'll get a little kickback. So, that would be lovely.
1: You don't know the
2: power
0: of the dark side.
2: Now, um, I want to talk all about Dooku Jedi Lost, which is the first audio drama by Kevin Scott. Full disclosure, Charles and I are going to be talking about everything related to this book. So, massive spoilers ahead. I guess we can kind of get that out of the way now. Um, If you have not listened to Dooku Jedi Lost, go ahead, pick up a copy with our link also in the show notes Listen to the whole thing. Spoiler alert already. It's great. We both really loved it. And yes. we'll kind of get into specifics about that. So this is your last chance. I swear. Matt probably already put in that audio spoiler alert thing. But if not, it can go here.
0: Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal.
2: Really quick before we jump into DQ, we're going to do an early UTD member break. Which, again, may I remind you, we never get to hear... So I hope it's good. I hope you love it. And we'll be right back to geek out all about our boy Dooku. See you in a sec.
0: Hello, I'm Matt Davenport, podcast editor for the Living Force Podcast here at Utini. I want to share with you one of my favorite memories involving the Star Wars novels. Let's go back to May 1983 and the novelization of Return of the Jedi by James Caan. It had been three long years since The Empire Strikes Back and everybody wanted to know, was Darth Vader really Luke's father? While the novelization of Return of the Jedi had been released about two weeks before the movie, I bought the book on the Monday before the Friday release. I read that book on the bus, during school, during class, every minute I could. In fact, I read through the book twice. Twice before I went to go see the movie. It was such a great experience and one of my favorite memories involving the Star Wars books. If you're interested in learning more about the expanded universe, head over to UTini.com and remember the force will be with you always.
2: And we are back. Um you know, apropos of nothing, I want to say that was our best clip ever. It had (laughs) had to have been been. and if it wasn't, I mean, are, are are we made on a bed of lies? We based on nothing but deceit. Do we
1: sit on a throne? Sit of on lies? a
2: throne of lies. Thank you. Made on a bed of lies. Like <laughs> <laughs> my verb and noun were so off.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a new saying. Now we can just start using yeah. that. You Nutini, know?
2: made on a bed of lies. That's our second shirt after just... the after the find your IG eighty eight. <laughs>
1: find your IG88. i actually i'm not gonna lie i went on a t-shirt maker and i looked into making that t-shirt oh just for the heck of it for the four of us and then the three of you listening that want it if you don't know what we're talking about yes. uh
2: listen to episode five our collab with nerd herder and uh it, it it sounds hilarious but it's kind of a really beautiful sentiment so
1: it is give it a shot
2: but you know what we're not here to talk about that we're not here to talk about ig88 we're here to talk about Dooku Jedi Lost, and as we always do with these roundtable discussions, I'm going to throw it to Charles, because man, you do so much more prep than I do. So steer this ship.
1: I will do my best. <laughs> so this is, I don't know, maybe three weeks after you and I have both finished this audiobook, At probably. Least, is yeah. Is that accurate? Okay, maybe even a month. Uh, we, we were lucky enough to get our hands on an early copy, and we listened to that. And we all really enjoyed it, so let's go ahead and jump in. I want to start this with a plot synopsis, even though if you're listening to this, you've probably heard it. But let's just refresh for all of our sakes. Essentially, Dooku Jedi Lost is an audio drama, not an audio book, but an audio drama that follows Asajj Ventress trying to track down Count Dooku's sister and to help her do that duku gives her access to basically these old holo vids almost like a video journal of sorts mm-hmm. that he had of his entire life from when he was a padawan at the temple until he left the jedi order altogether sound right uh, is are we talking about the same you know thing? it sounds right that is the thing i listen to and, and it's it sounds
2: familiar it does and and already i'm so struck by the idea of Duke, of the duku we know being like Hey yeah, here uh, here are some vids of my entire past history. Uh, this is your first mission for me, so just know me intimately. <laughs> here you go.
1: Yeah, like like Dooku, it, it, he doesn't strike you as the kind who would curl up in his bed after a long day and write in his. Not really. Boat. You well, know what I mean? Like, he that's... does
2: have those exquisite pajamas though, so maybe he that is does. what he does.
1: <laughs> That are even a skin that you can wear on Battlefront. Dude, two, it's funny Which I love seeing him sprint past in his It's PJs. so great. That's he's great. so
2: comfortable and, and lethal. Yeah. And uh me and uh me and my partner just watched the Clone Wars episode where he he's in those PJs. And now that I know yes. it's Battlefront skin, it just makes me laugh. It's so great.
1: <laughs> so no pajamas no. in this book that we know of, but Overall, let's just talk about the project itself because, as I mentioned, this wasn't an audiobook. This was a full-on audio drama, and that's something that we've never really gotten before. It was reminiscent of the old radio dramas mm-hmm. from way back when of, like, A New Hope and whatnot, but we haven't gotten a project like this in recent years whatsoever. So how did that format sit with you?
2: I loved it, man. I mean, as as an actor, I, I love I love plays right that's my that's my thing that's my job and this actually felt like a play that was recorded which was super fun for me because i'm not i'm not an audiobook guy really i i listened about half the lost stars audiobook when i first got into the eu and then just got the novel out because i like that a little better but this was really like a a whole performance being put on for us, and I loved it. I thought that the editing was great, the voices were great, and it really helped me, rem- like, kind of remember which character was who, because that's tough in these books, man. I mean, even for those of us that love this universe, sometimes it's hard to remember which Jedi is which and all
1: that jazz. Yeah. Well, and we got a, a lot of new characters, too, and, of course, we did get familiar characters. We got Asajj Ventress, we got... Uh, Dooku, obviously. We got Rail Avros back. Dude. And that kind of brings me around. I want to talk about voices real quick. Yeah, this isn't even in the outline. But let's let's off talk script. about the voice actors We're going themselves. off script already. Let's do it. We're going already. <laughs> Son of a gun. Jettison the escape pods. This is, we're going down. Uh, you left me in charge to steer this ship and we oh are crashing. Another happy landing. <laughs> Basically, I, we have our Discord channel and we have our, our Slack channel too. And a couple people have brought up that the voices were... Maybe a little bit of an issue for them in terms of getting into the book to start, Mm -hmm. because we do have a different voice for Dooku than we had on the Clone Wars show, and and I think that's probably where people have heard the most Mm -hmm. audio from him. We had Rail Averroes, who more or less sounds like Jason Aldean. He's a very country, deep voice. Like If he doesn't have a a country career in his future in that galaxy, then I don't know what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, what, how did those voices sit with you? And Qui-Gon, he was the other one that I think was a little bit controversial. Yeah,
2: um, those ones, I, I actually loved all the ones you're talking about. I think that, I mean, real Everol's coming in to be Jedi. Like, I was all about <laughs> Sam Elliott, real Everass. Um, I think that it really kind of enriched Master and Apprentice for me as well, uh, in retrospect. Dooku being different was interesting because the Asajj voice actress is spot on. I mean, she's she's yes. not the actress from The Clone Wars, which is insane because you'll listen to it and you won't believe it. Having Dooku different definitely takes a second, but I didn't mind it because I think it was still a great performance. And the writing and the affectation he used in his voice still gave me Dooku. I didn't believe this was a weaker Dooku. I didn't believe it was different in yeah. a specific way like that.
1: I think that Real Avaros, it just kind of made me laugh. I I had to take a step back and I was like, well, what's what's wrong with having like a country accent like there's really nothing wrong with it because we have we have like any uh, borderline like stereotypical like some people have like a french type Mm -hmm. accent or you know whatever it is so why not have someone that's country i mean that we you know you have like the wild space in outer regions like that's people are from everywhere like the backwoods like yeah so uh, once i kind of thought about that i was like well that fits so yeah. fine. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, with
2: and it. the and, and then the, Qui Gon. I was gonna say that was another one you said was was controversial. Yeah, I really felt like that was super Liam Neeson to me. Um, I don't know. It,
1: that's the thing is it wasn't necessarily Qui Gon, but it was spot on Liam Neeson because yeah. it did have that Irish flair mm-hmm. to it. So if you've watched any like behind the scenes interviews with Liam Neeson, then it sounded exactly yeah. like. And it's it, so yeah, loved and it, like
2: the, and I think like the younger. 'Cause he's younger in this, obviously, He's Padawan still. Mm-hmm. I think that worked very well for me.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. I dug
2: it. I dug it so hard, man.
1: So we like so we like the voices. Yes. We like uh, the, the voices. The, only thing, right, well, the only
2: thing I'll say is I did have a little mm-hmm. bit of trouble in the probably late mid late teen years sections of sometimes Dooku and Cyphedeus got a little similar for me. Um, yes. so I I it's... I think the characterizations were written well differently, but there was a couple times where I had to rewind as I was on a dog walk or whatever, as I usually was listening to this, where I I, I couldn't quite tell just in that age range who was talking,
1: so that got a little tough. I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair, and that's kind of something that can happen with audiobooks just in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't get sifodia said and, and all that right. kind of stuff, but uh, but yeah, but I think overall it was it was really entertaining. I loved the voices. It maybe it took a little bit to get used mm-hmm. to, but once you were you know kind of. Sp- comfortable it, it was a fun ride Yeah
2: exactly I mean it, it's literally just talking on the phone with a couple different people So yeah. really dug this Yeah
1: like like we normally do here. Now can we get back on the script please back Charles to... My gosh yeah. back to the script So about <laughs> the plot now we normally kind of break this down plot and characters and all that but it's a little bit difficult to talk about the plot of this book because it is rather large I mean it is rather sprawling there are there or there is the sort of overall mission that Asajj is going on that I mentioned, but Mm -hmm. since we have all these different time periods in Dooku's life, there's a lot of things that really get thrown in and a lot of subplots. And so we're going to do our best Mm -hmm. to kind of hop point to point, uh, at least amongst the big ones. Overall, before this story, we didn't really have a ton of information about Dooku's past. He was a relatively mysterious Mm -hmm. character, I would say. But now that we have this entire story that literally talks about him as a Padawan up until he's much older, around the age that we see him in Attack of the Clones, how did seeing Dooku's youth change how you see him as a character overall? Man, it changed it
2: 100% almost, I'd say, because I was never the biggest Dooku fan, right? I thought he was Mm -hmm. a cool ad. I like Christopher Lee um, as an actor, but, I gotta kind of take or leave Dooku. I think he was definitely the the kind of... He was a holdover before Anakin happened, and he was kind of the backup plan, just in case Sidious didn't get him. But the second he did, boom, he's out. Clone Wars made him a little cooler. He definitely had a little more of like the dueling um, and power to him then. But this mm-hmm. book, I r- really think, or this story, rather, I think really elevated him in my mind. I, I really followed his whole journey as a Padawan. I... I believed everything he did. I thought it had a really natural arc to it. And I really had the respect for how powerful he was because we see him take on Obi-Wan and Anakin multiple times. We see him take on the Sisters as they go to assassinate him. Like, we we see him believe he has the power to take down Sidious if he has an apprentice. Like, all these things are said about him. And in this story, his progression of power really makes that ring true for me. Um, and I think, what you, like what you said, the fact that this is less plot-driven and more of a character study really helps that.
1: Mm-hmm. Because
2: we don't really get that in novel form because the novels can enhance character, but at the end of the day, they are all kind of about the story of X. You know what I mean? We don't. We can't really sure. just look at little snippets of a character's life because that doesn't work as well in that format. Whereas this, I believe really use the audio format well to get us inside the mind of Dooku constantly, inside his struggles, inside his thirst for power. So by the time he got to the point where he was a member of the Jedi flippin' council, by the way, um mm-hmm. you're like, Well of course he is. Of course he is. Um how about you? Did you feel like it kind of tracked? Do you think that some stuff came out of nowhere?
1: No, I, I think overall it, it was fantastic. That's the thing about villains in Star Wars is a lot of times even with the Clone Wars which is a ton of hours of content some of the antagonists can come across as very two-dimensional Absolutely. and it's fine because they're not supposed to be the the focus of the show or the movie or any of that unless you're talking about Anakin himself and so i think that's fair but that's why i want these type of things this is the type of content that you should I think expect from the expanded universe that's going to just elevate the movie so much because I think maybe even Attack of the Clones, the the crawl may even say like the mysterious Count Dooku Yeah, or, or so, something like that. He has an like, adjective like that, yeah. Yeah, it more or less says like this guy came out of nowhere and he did. And, and so to get such a strong foundation for that character who was just kind of thrown into the mix was really interesting. And I think what you said about doing it in terms of showing his childhood and, and why he made all these decisions mm-hmm. that he made, it did make a ton of sense. And I think it added a lot to that character. Yeah.
2: And I think it really makes his, his decision to leave the Jedi order is so important. And it's something that we never really got before because Dooku is not your typical villain. Like he's not a mustache twirler. The universe is going to be ruled by me, you know, power hungry villain. And I think this, the book uh, story, I keep saying book, this story really kind of shows that at the end is that, of course he has to leave. Like, I, I agreed with his leaving at the end. I'm like, you absolutely have to. And now taking that into clones, into uh, Sith and the Clone Wars, I'm like, oh, of course he did. Like, he really thinks what he's doing is right. And in a lot of cases, he probably is. You know, of, of course, all these Separatist planets would follow him because he has this prestige. He has this intelligence. He has this regalness to him. And by the end of this story, you can see how that child that started um, wanting to be nothing more than Jedi ends as this count who attained the rank of Jedi master attained a seat on the council, but still had to leave and you respect him for it. I think that's huge.
1: Yeah. Now, now that's interesting. And that's something that I want to come back around to because you, you and I might disagree on one small point about that. And that is basically the jump between where we see him in this story and, and the type of things we see him do in the films. Mm -hmm. And, I will come back Let's to do that. It. I will we come got time. Back to we got time. Because you, we do. Okay. We got so much time. So you touched on how powerful Dooku is. You touched on how he could take on the Night Sisters and all mm-hmm. of these things. We got a really great demonstration of just how powerful he was in a very unique mm-hmm. way in this story. And that was his connection to the Tirataka. Now – for those of you listening, the Terotaka was more or less like a dragon who lived inside of his homeworld of Sereno. Yeah. And when Duku went home for the first time to Sereno, he touched a statue of it and essentially awakened the beast more yeah, or less. The and then started, yeah, and then started having like some weird connection to it. He was having some visions and whatnot. But Eric, where did that connection come from? Because we have not really seen anything like this before, mm-hmm. like what was his connection with the Taka exactly and what purpose did it serve for him personally and for the story? To me,
2: the Taka is really kind of about um,
1: the manifestation of destiny,
2: right? Because we talk a lot about destiny in Star Wars. I mean, having recently rewatched the Mortis episodes of Clone Wars, like I'm all about the destiny stuff right now. I'm all about, you know, mm-hmm. who's the chosen one, what's the balance, all that. The Taka to me is really a proof to young Dooku that he is special, that he has chosen for something beyond what he has been given. And I think that is something that is always, for the most part, turned down by the Jedi. They turn a blind eye because you're not supposed to want anything. You're not supposed to yearn for higher power because your only responsibility is to the Force itself, is to the universe, right? But giving young Dooku the Tirataka— so this is going back to your question about how does it serve the story— it, sure. it, it serves to give Dooku that seed of doubt, that seed of, no, I could touch it, but I could do this. So there's something to that. There's something to that amount of raw power, I think, that is incredibly tempting, that is incredibly um, appetizing for someone, much less at that age, um, just of any kind of Jedi. Um, and to have that be the symbol of his house, the symbol of Sereno, um, really kind of serves as a guide to eventually bring him back there. And I think it, for the rest of his life, I would assume it was always in the back of his head. Like, if I wasn't meant to go there, why would it have touched me so? If if my blood wasn't meant to serve the people of my ancestors, then why would it have called to this monster?
1: Yeah, no, I I love that. And I, I didn't even think of it so much as what you're describing as it's what sort of was the seed of doubt in the back of his mind. I was really thinking of it more as... A physical connection that provided him with a more or less palpable example of of the power that he had yeah. so like he could have he could have felt some weird like connection to the Tirataka, to but he had like a physical reaction like he would fall to the ground if i remember yeah, correctly yeah. like he would have these visions and whatnot you can't deny that you can't shrug that no. off that's a very visceral thing right so that's kind of where that came from and this connection that he had it sort of blossomed throughout the story until at the end we see he actually fully awakens the tirataka like this dragon actually comes forth from underneath the ground Mm -hmm. i don't know if he has complete control over it but the tirataka is reacting to his own feelings and emotions and whatnot and when dooku is incredibly enraged at his brother Ramil, we see the Mm tirataka is incredibly enraged and it's Destroying everything on Sereno. Mm-hmm. Here's my question: Why did Dooku, like swan dive out of that ship and stab the Tirataka and kill it? Because I was intrigued by that decision because it seemed to only really be feeding off of his own negative emotions.
2: Right. I think it's an excellent
1: question because I mean that that level of control
2: for the Tirataka reminds me of um, like Ezra and Rebels with the wolves, right? Um, mm-hmm. So there's definitely a precedent of force users and animals and things like that, usually light side um, to that extent. But obviously there was some dark side magic going on with this beast oh, yeah. and uh, feeding off anger. So I wonder if either A, swan diving off the, tira- uh, the ship to kill the Tirataka was an element of I'm taking back control. Because maybe he's thinking this beast may have control over me and I need to prove to myself that I don't need it. Or maybe that's a little bit of fear in Dooku, too, of, like, it's getting it's getting out of hand, and I'm kind of afraid of this level of destruction, so I want to try to temper it a little bit. Because I think that, to your point earlier, and what it will be later when we talk about it, um, Dooku's appetite for power is, is never necessarily an appetite for destruction, even in Clone Wars, I would say. I would say he's he's still against needless chaos and needless death. You know, I, I think that he still ultimately believes at the end of this there will be the war will be over, peace will happen. Mm-hmm. And yes, he will be ruling, but because he is the right person to do so. So I think maybe a look at that kind of carnage is like this isn't what I wanted, but I alone have the power to stop it. Do you think do you think there's an element of nobility mm. there? Do you think that it's kind of all selfish at that point?
1: No, I, I really like where you're going with that. And, and to springboard off of that, I think that maybe that is what solidified Dooku as the rightful leader of Sereno in the people's mind. Yeah, because we yeah. hear them chanting, Dooku, Dooku, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the story after he does that. And I can only just imagine myself if I'm out on this battlefield fighting all these droids and someone actually dives out <laughs> of a ship stabs this giant dragon in the head and like essentially saves the entire planet. Yeah. I, I'll follow I'll, that I'll guy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll start a slow exactly. clap. Yeah. So I think it, I think it probably helped that as well, because I do wonder why he would have had as robust of support as he did from the people. Yeah. If that didn't play a big part in it, unless they really hated Ramil as the I mean, who wouldn't Ramil
2: much. sucks We'll get, we'll get to that in characters later on, but Ramil sucks. Spoiler yes. alert.
1: He was bad. He was bad. And yeah, I mean, uh, okay. Matt,
2: get the sensor uh, ready for this. F*** Ramil. <laughs> That's what I'll say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I no longer have control over <laughs> this vessel. So, I don't want to beat around the bush here because there were a lot of things that I wanted to talk yeah. about in our Master and Apprentice reviews that we didn't get mm-hmm. to. And I refuse to not get to the force vision on a sustenance. Yeah, Corey. That happened. Yeah, Corey. <laughs> That you should have been That's here right. for this, man. We'll, we'll probably we'll probably get your thoughts on it again maybe. next week, but maybe, maybe not. I, I do want to talk about it because it was huge. It was probably the most interesting bit from the entire story, I would say, in my opinion, because we see something that we're not really familiar with outside of maybe what we know Luke was doing uh, leading up to the Force Awakens time period, but we see. A Jedi and her Padawan in Lean Castana and Cyphodius actually searching out Sith artifacts. Yeah. That's something that is not, I would say, very common. Uh, and we see the the Jedi Council more or less allowing her to do that. They don't necessarily think it's a good idea, but they say that Lean can go ahead and go and do that. Well, she brings Dooku along on one of these trips to the planet Assusto, I think, or it mm-hmm. might have been a moon. And they are basically eaten by some weird force moss.
2: Yeah. That forest was Force moss is, that is was,
1: canon now. Force moss is canon. And someone brought up really interestingly in the Discord that they wonder if it was like the algae around the, the hole on Octa yeah. that actually had the dark side energy that made Ray have that video. Maybe. Never thought about that, but maybe because now force plants are. Sorry, we love Star
2: Wars, man. Anything's so, possible.
1: Anything. <laughs> anything dooku goes on this trip they get eaten by some forest moss mm-hmm. there's this weird like covenant of creatures aliens of some sort that want to kill the jedi and use their blood like for a ritual yeah. to see into the future it kind of backfires a bit, on them a little bit and dooku ha- and sifo and i think castana as well all have this crazy vision and so i want to talk about the things that they saw in their visions and the things that we heard along with yeah. them I want to start with there were some really familiar voices. The closer that Dooku got to the pirates and the moss and all that stuff that was going on, we heard some very familiar voices. We heard Yoda, and Yoda says Dooku and Padawan. Mm-hmm. We heard, I think, Jinza saying yep. brother. Yep. I mean, that would just make sense. Uh, we heard Gora, who was Dooku's father, saying yep. idiot, Yeah, that was great. Then we get some really cool ones. We get... Asaj saying, "Master." Then we get a very deep voice, also saying, "Master." And who did, who did you think that was? Did Did anyone spring to the mind deep, right away? Super
2: deep one. Um, not particularly. Savage. Maybe? I thought about it
1: as really long and hard. I yeah yeah. I don't want to like spring no, what this do, question, what do you but think? yeah, that's that's the conclusion I came as well. That it had it had to have been Savage because he did have that really deep voice in in the Clone yeah. Wars, and obviously Dooku did. Kind of use him as well. Yeah, so he was his master for at least an episode heard, or two. Yeah, yeah, that all that got pretty convoluted. Mm-hmm. He who knows who was whose master and who was right. whose apprentice, but then we hear Palpatine, yeah. I think, oh, pretty absolutely. clearly saying apprentice, yep. which again makes so. This is literally Dooku was hearing Sidious in the future, he didn't even know who Sidious mm-hmm. was, and he hears him in the future calling him apprentice. I thought that was, that was amazing. It's fantastic
2: because it's also like it, 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 it's showing how there's so much predetermined element, so many predetermined elements about Dooku's life. Because this is a, this yeah. is a guy who was born into a, essentially a royal bloodline that should have predetermined his life. And then he got taken from that to have a different predetermined life to be a Jedi. And it, it's just kind of showing that is anything in his control? and Because this, this vision is saying absolutely not.
1: Basically, and, and it's interesting that you say that because one of my favorite passages from the book, and and I wrote the... Uh, analysis piece you know i pulled together the entire utini's uh team's opinions and i wrote the analysis piece for the website and the quote that i use is is this quote from this scene when dooku says i saw the future futures every prospect every possibility and all of them a living nightmare yeah so he he he's always in motion the future <laughs> is and all of that and he sees the different possibilities but all of them it seems lead to one thing and i think that speaks to Sidious's control of the situation like mm. one way or another this is happening yeah like what Sidious wants to happen is and happening. I think
2: one of the most fun conversations that any Star Wars fan can have with another and when we have all the time is were the Clone Wars avoidable you know was we we love talking about the fall of the Jedi the how the Jedi kind of turned their back on their whole dogma and everything because of what Sidious did but at the end of the day was that going to happen no matter what and this kind of vision says yeah Absolutely. I mean, too many things were already in motion. The Clone Wars were inevitable. So the horror of that was going to happen no matter who tried to stop it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we hear some dialogue actually of a sort of, I don't know what to call it, maybe like a different version of what we see happen with Mace going to arrest Mm -hmm. Palpatine. We hear we hear essentially Yoda say like wrongnesses and then someone says the Jedi must ca- take control. The Senate has been corrupted. Mm-hmm. And uh, pa- you hear Palpatine saying, Master Jedi, what is the meaning of mm-hmm. this? Uh, we hear someone say the rule of the Jedi has begun. It's just, it's incredible. And that's when you start hearing all of the sort of war going on, all of the, the sounds of battle We hear someone say Commander Crane. Does that name mean anything? Not off the top of my head, no. Not off the top of my head either. I didn't look into it, but I think that... I mean, maybe we're going to get something with a Commander Crane. Maybe. Uh, We hear Qui-Gon... Yeah, and I want to give Corey a shout out because he did say way back, I think, in episode one, his prediction for this story was that Dooku would have a vision and he would misinterpret it. I mean, that's it. And
2: I mean, he misinterprets it, but this also gets us the seed of why sifo did what he did. I mean, why his entire life was consumed with essentially accepting that the clone wars were coming and preparing the Republic for it. You know, like, yes, did he save a lot of lives by ordering the clones? Probably. But at the end of the day, did he also (laughs) feed right into sifo plan and cause the deaths of countless millions?
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, That's really interesting, too, because we see that all of those actions were brought on by this vision. And really, all of Dooku's issues and choices in the future were brought on more or less by this vision. You could kind of go back and point to this vision as the genesis of all those things. And, I mean, Sidious didn't send Kostana to this Mm -hmm. planet to go find this Sith artifact. Sidious wasn't orchestrating this. I think this actually does speak towards the force the will of the force Mm -hmm. and how it's trying to keep everything in balance and that's a major idea that we're getting now even if that means bad things are going to happen it's keeping everything in balance and that's sort of what happened here yeah because
2: i mean at the end of the day the light was was getting probably too powerful before the clone wars i mean there were frankly hundreds there were thousands of jedi and two sith Mm -hmm. and the light was kind of overcoming so then the clone wars happen it swings to the dark and then by the time we get to the end of the return of the jedi vader's sacrifice gets rid of the sith and luke becomes quote-unquote the last jedi but then in the last jedi we finally get luke preaching balance to Rey. so ideally by the end of nine there should be no sith no jedi there's only someone that is teaching the balance of the force which is Rey. which is why anakin was the chosen one because he got to destroy the sith passed it on to Luke, who passed it on to Rey, who will make eternal balance. And that is what they talked about on Mortis. So I'm thinking all that Boom. ties into this to say that the Force is actually kind of controlling the flow of it all at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, well, I, th- I think we're... Thank you for here, coming to my TED Eric. Talk. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so, I so I mean, I just thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. But after having this, this crazy Force vision... We see that Duku and Cyvadeus especially are having a f- actual physical and emotional reaction to being in touch with that sort of dark side energy yeah. that caused them to have that vision. Duku actually like lets out a barrage of force lightning while he's in a trance and kills everyone but Kastana and Cyvadeus. Yeah. so that's pretty that's intense. intense. Yeah. So when they go back to the ship more or less to cleanse themselves of that dark energy. Castana pulls something out that's really interesting, something we'd never seen before, called the Balm of the Luminous, and it was essentially these wraps, these I don't know Tuscan Raider type wraps that you would put around your arms, and they had sort of incantations or chants written mm-hmm. on them. The chant went something like, "We walk into the light, acknowledge the dark, and find balance within ourselves." For the force is strong, so there we get the idea of balance again. But what did you think of this bomb of the? Limits? I mean,
2: if only there was a giant project coming next year that could tell us about ah. it. I mean, dude, I freaked out when I heard about this because for our listeners, if you haven't been kind of in touch with everything that's going on in Star Wars literature at Star Wars Celebration, something called Project Luminous was announced for next year that in, that we know nothing about, but it involves Kevin Scott, writer of this book, as long as as well as uh, Claudia Gray, Daniel Jose Older, Charles Soule. Oh my gosh, I feel so bad. I'm forgetting the other. Uh, 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 there's someone that writes a lot of the junior novels. I forgot her name. But but a couple, a bunch of writers, and it's just this mysterious project that they will tell us nothing about, but it's called Project Luminous. And when I heard Balm of the Luminous, I'm like, there's no way that's not connected because it's all about exactly. the force. That's all that we kind of know about that project. So I immediately thought, okay, this is an Easter egg. This is the first Easter egg we're getting of this Balm of the luminous. And secondly, I thought about the wraps around Asajj's arms in the Clone Wars, that is on her costuming. So I'm wondering, okay, are yeah. those connected somehow? Does she have those wraps when she's a Padawan, or only after she meets Dooku?
1: That's that's really interesting too. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about um, that. And then but... and then
2: Ray even has them. Even has wraps on her costuming in the sequel trilogy. So I don't know how far it goes, but it definitely yeah. pinged my ear. And made me think about it all of it.
1: Yeah, it, it wasn't the accidental use of the word mm-hmm. luminous. Like That that was a very conscious decision. And I think you're right. And I, it's really interesting too because we just talked about how the movies seem to be going in the direction of balance. We know there's this upcoming project, Project Luminous. These had to do with balance. So it could be just where is the story going post Rise of Skywalker and it's going to continue following that right. theme. So I did want to touch on that because you messaged me right away and, and I'll be honest with the audience. I did it did not make the connection when I heard Balm of the mm-hmm. Luminous. And maybe that's because I listened to this this story sometimes when I was laying in bed getting ready to go to sleep. So maybe I just slept through that one. But you pointed it out. I thought it was a really cool tie-in. So I wanted you to talk yeah, about Yeah, can't that. wait. Can't wait for next year. And you know at Uteni we'll
2: be freaking out the second we get any Project Luminous news. And I'll be putting up that article as soon as we can.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So – this vision that they had was not the only dark thing that happened in this mm-hmm. story. There were several others. There's actually a really big one. One of the big kind of mysteries towards the end of the story was when a member of the Jedi Council, who was new to this book, her name was Master mm-hmm. Braylin, uh We found out that she actually had a son who was another Jedi named Arath, mm-hmm. I think. And she concealed it from everyone. I mean, she brought Arath back to the temple, claimed that she was... Basically, the one who found him as a force sensitive child and said that, you know, didn't admit it to anyone that that was her kid, but Dooku did figure it out. Did it surprise you, Eric, to see such disregard for the code and, and the tenets of the Jedi from someone on the council itself? Yes, it surprised me to
2: an extent, but at the same time, I gotta say, my first thought was solid idea. It's a great cover you know? And it is it kind of made me think, like, with a lot of institutions, with a lot of strict dogma, whether it be religious or otherwise, people have ways of getting around it um, for time immemorial. I mean, everyone with a set of rules has found a way to skirt them, and I think this was an interesting way to, again, show the flaws of the Jedi, to show how they are inherently human, um, even the ones that are aliens, uh, but to show that they have needs and desires and passion and How, you know, the quote-unquote right thing may have been to reveal this child to the council and then give it away for training and never see him again. And even Mm. though that would have been right among the dogma of the Jedi, the psychological torture that probably would have exuded on them both would have been incalculable. So, was that the right thing to do? I think so morally, but was it the wrong thing to do in terms of the Jedi? Absolutely. So seeing those at odds was fascinating to me in this case.
1: It was. And and something that I thought was really interesting is this shows exactly how deep-seated the failings of the Jedi were already before everything that happened with Anakin. But it also does show that Anakin was very far from being alone in his situation. Absolutely. And something that came out of that is when Yoda finds out about Arath being Braylon's son he says specifically that he would have helped her if he had known and that just made me think one what would he have done and i think you brought up one possibility there but two it made me just want in an alternate reality to hear or to see anakin going to yoda and admitting everything and seeing where that Really would have gone because I think it's a really interesting direction. I don't. Someone out there write some fan fiction and send it to <laughs> us here at the Living Force. I want to know what that. Dude, what happened.
2: seriously? Like, is Yoda the cool uncle of the Force? Like, is he actually like? If you would have just told me, I would have helped you out because there's never anyone that really goes to Yoda that he shuts down. I mean, sometimes he doesn't give you the answers you want, but he, I mean, he doesn't take on many Padawans purposefully because he wants to teach younglings because he actually wants to deal with the innocence of the young and of the questions of them. And he's always open. So on one hand, is he the most you know strict Jedi to the dogma? Maybe, but you know, is that also just our assumption of him and of the elders based on nothing,
1: you know? Yeah. Well, and I think in a lot of ways he is obviously he's the, the grandmaster. So he is the wisest one, the one that's most in tune mm-hmm. with the force. And yet we do see him making some very questionable decisions in this, oh book. sure. So, or or in this story, excuse me, and one of those came out of this Master Braylon situation, where we saw he decided to send Senavax, that weird, creepy-voiced alien, to the Citadel. Yeah, right. The same Citadel that we saw in the Clone Wars, that was portrayed as, I think, a Jedi prison yeah. initially. But Yoda says we're sending Senevacs there, and Dooku is very surprised by that entire situation and how they're not bringing in any outside authorities, but rather the Jedi are going to handle this entirely themselves, even though it's not a Jedi that they're punishing. Mm-hmm. That's pretty dark. Yeah, I man. mean,
2: you want to have a reason why Dooku would leave? Like, that's a pretty big one. Like, you're, you're seeing the people that have preached to you um, tolerance and patience and listening and all these things becoming judge, jury, and executioner. That's got to be
1: pretty terrifying. Well, and it probably looked and sounded a lot like a small step in the direction of the Jedi taking over the Senate, if they believed it was Absolutely,
2: I think, really, and it brings it all back to what we were saying earlier, this book, this story, really does do a lot to show us the step-by-step reasoning for why Dooku does what he does. Because, ultimately, if you want peace in the universe and you see the people that say that they're all about peace doing these kinds of things, then maybe they don't know what's good anymore. Maybe I do. Maybe I'm the one who decides what's right. And what's right is what serves me and my ends because I am the only one who knows how to bring peace anymore. And that is a dangerous road to go down.
1: It's it's the road of Absolutely. the sin. I mean, it, it's it's Anakin saying, you know, maybe the people should be made to agree. You mm-hmm. know, maybe I should be the one that's making these decisions. Maybe there's someone that should be all-powerful. I mean, that is what the Road of the Sith ultimately is. So it makes perfect sense that Dooku would, would end up on that Yep, path. super well handled by Kevin Scott to write it that way. Absolutely. Now, I do want to touch on one last thing that I think Yoda did that was a really questionable decision, and it'll get us talking about the character portion of, of this entire review. It's going to get us talking about Dooku. But we, we learned that Dooku was essentially sent away by his father, mm-hmm. Count Gora, who didn't want anything to do with a Force-sensitive child. So, Gora sends Dooku away to the Jedi, and then we see Dooku come back with the Jedi when he's much older. I don't remember how old he was supposed to be, about 9 or 10, or Some like something yeah. like that. And he comes back to Soreno, and he's there for something that's not related to meeting his family, but he ultimately does meet his family because he feels this weird connection to his sister, Genza. He follows her to, like, the Senate... Uh, house or the, you know, whatever the equivalent was, the Great Assembly, I think mm-hmm. maybe it was called, and they get into some trouble because Dooku essentially makes the entire building fall down. It's a, I, it's it, it's, a, it's a, it's, a, it it's a tough
2: look for my guy Dooku. You know,
1: he's, he's doing yes, his best. it is. <laughs> and so Count Gora obviously notices that his daughter is missing, one, and, uh, an entire building has collapsed. He's very two. observant, Gora. Yeah, probably in that, <laughs> in that order. <laughs> And and so he goes and he discovers Yoda along with Dooku, and he essentially starts telling Yoda, you never should have brought him back here, blah, blah, blah. But it is Yoda who ultimately reveals, he says, I think the line, like, your son's fault, this is not. Why did Yoda say that? Because some of the things Goro was saying, maybe could it, you could have pieced it together if you were, like, really observant, but he had not given it away yet. And Yoda was just full-on, like, hey, Dooku, this is your dad. Sorry, he's being kind of an a-hole.
2: Yeah.
1: And, like, I was just like, wow, why would Yoda make that decision? It's,
2: it's a fascinating decision, right? I mean, it's a fascinating... Yes. ...ideal to reveal that. And I... And, and, and it it stuck with me for a bit because I don't... I didn't understand why. I understand the reasoning... And I think at the end of the day, Yoda is not interested in anything, in any kind of straight-up lying, in any kind of deceit. I think that he will absolutely shield people from things that need to be. I think he's he's okay with a need-to-know basis. But in that moment, lying to this child about their lineage, I don't think would have served anything light in Yoda's mind. I think that that would have been only mm-hmm. deceit, and it would have been something more um more harmful to the psyche of this kid. Okay. So I think that Yoda in that moment made the choice of, you know what? I'm not going to give into the easy choice, which is usually the dark side, which is to ignore this and let us move on. Cause that's totally would have been easy. He gave in to the harder thing sure. which I think had some truth. And so Dooku couldn't then come back to him later and say, Wait, you lied to me about this. That's like when fair. like like when Luke asked right? him about like um, you know, Vader's my father, and Yoda's like, yeah, your father he is. You know, he's like Ben never.
1: He's not gonna straight yeah, up. Yeah, he's not gonna
2: lie. straight up lie to you. He may not bring you know it what, up, you but he know, won't lie to you.
1: You know what Yoda is? I'm I'm quickly realizing he is the Star Wars galaxy's equivalent of a paternity test. <laughs> <laughs> like you, do, you just have to go ask Yoda, like, is this guy my dad? And he'll just be like, yeah. yeah. He <laughs> or yeah, you no. got to see him out though.
2: He won't just exist. You yes. gotta actually ask. He's
1: not gonna come find you. Yeah. Yes. Oh my god. So, Yoda, the pretend so if, test,
2: uh, test of the galaxy. That's another shirt.
1: If only... <laughs> <laughs> we're getting too many shirts.
2: Never enough shirts.
1: Yeah, if Grandmaster of the Jedi Council doesn't work out, then uh, he can get a job with Exactly, Maori. there you go. <laughs> or, or the...
2: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, it was oh, I mean, a great moment, uh, uh, a harrowing moment for Dooku for sure, but one that both kind of takes away all the power from his father to deny him also because in that moment Gora can't say no you're not because freaking yoda said it you know you're not gonna go against his word
1: yeah no i i totally agree so i am gonna i'm gonna just break this real quick how are we doing i mean we maybe got
2: we can hit let's hit dooku and then i think we gotta get out of here
1: okay but uh yeah we got okay. we got all so right.
2: many characters to get through everybody that's gonna be next week but let's touch on um just a characterization of dooku himself and then we'll get out of here
1: Okay, all right. So we've discussed a lot about Dooku and how everything that has happened in this book maybe makes him a more understandable character, a more sympathetic character. But I want to talk about the mission that he sends Asajj on. He he sends Asajj to go find his sister, Jenza. Mm-hmm. And I basically want to know why did he need to use Asajj for this mission? Why couldn't Dooku, who we've discussed is so powerful mm-hmm. and knows that his sister is on the same planet as him, why couldn't he go find her himself? Was it that it, that he couldn't reveal everything to Asajj? I mean, I, I, I guess I don't really understand why. What did you think for about me,
2: it? For me, I think that at this point, Dooku as the... He's the figurehead of the Separatists, right? Or, or not even the figurehead, he's mm-hmm. the actual leader. Uh, he's also a renowned Jedi Master who left, but is still pretty well known. I think it's very hard for him to walk in circles with any kind of subtlety. Um, so I think that that's a huge element to it. I think that the the fact that maybe if he wanted to especially kill his sister, right, as he ends up doing, that would have been very public. I think that's tough. And I also think there's an element of, with his, this is like the first mission he ever sends Saj on, um, if I remember correctly. Uh, I think there's an element of of, of yeah. testing her. To say, okay, if this is going to be my apprentice to help me take down Sidious, I really need to know I can trust her with this, you know, this level of importance to me. So I think that this gets rid of all um, accountability for him if it goes wrong, but also if it works out well, he gets undeniable loyalty. Because now Asajj knows that if she ever tries to betray Dooku, he trusted her with all this, so she's going to die. There's no question about
1: it. Yeah, and I mean, if he's willing to kill his own sister, then he's willing to kill that her too. as well. Yeah, so was it always Dooku's plan to kill his sister? Like, what what was his initial reasoning for needing to find her? Because in the story, we don't hear her verbalize that she wants to go to the Jedi about mm-hmm. Dooku until those final moments. So what what was it that he wanted exactly?
2: I think it's got to be to kill her from the top, you know? I think...
1: Yeah. You think that was always I his plan? I think it was always
2: his plan. I also wonder if he needed Asajj to do the legwork because if he had if he had done so much legwork himself, maybe he would have lost his nerve. You know, maybe he okay. – because it's very hard because he obviously loved her very much. I mean, all their connection throughout his basically his entire life was very strong. And I think yeah. that his decision on I have to kill her, I have to get it done, it was so hard that maybe he's like, I can only see her in that last moment. Now, maybe now maybe there is a possibility that if she hadn't said those things at the end, he would have just tried to bring her back with him okay, for sentimental reasons. But I feel like in order to further his character in the way that the story seemed to be telegraphing, it had to be his thought from the top.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, and, and this is one of the things that kind of makes me ask the question is how do we get from... Dooku, you know, making justifiable decisions and wanting to lead his people to the Dooku that's going to strike down his his sister in in rage. I mean, like, I don't sympathize with that, I guess. I sympathize up with him up until a certain point, and then it seems like he's just full on dark side. Maybe that's just corruption from once he's chosen that path of the Um, dark side. You know, I think there's I think there's a
2: ton of a ton of reasons why he could possibly get there. I think there's a ton of reasons to sympathize, to sympathize with him. But I also think we're going to have to get into those next week, buddy. Because there we are. Okay. Um, man, there's so there's so much in this. And there's so much good stuff with Dooku. And next week, um, in our part two of this, uh, just as we did with Master and Apprentice, we're going to start off with possibly Corey back to um, really flesh out the characterization of Dooku. And then we'll get to the characterization of a bunch of the other players in the story from sifo to Assaz, nice. to Jensen, and everyone else. And then we'll get our kind of final views on the story, how it affects the EU as a whole.
1: But... Yeah. Who would have man, thought, man? Who would have thought that we would talk this much about Dooku before never, this story came out? Never,
2: I, I, I hadn't given him a second thought except for the fact that he's coming into Battlefront, you know? And now we have this story... Yeah, that, and, his, and PJs. his PJs. And his
1: And now everything has come full circle. The circle is now complete. Exquisite
2: pajamas. You did it, Kevin Scott. Well done. It's a trap! That will do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. Now don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in every week to hear the crew at Utini, or sometimes just me and Charles, talk about the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Please leave us a review to help people find us. And head over to utini.com for reviews, articles, and comprehensive book profiles on every single story in the Star Wars galaxy. Um, And again, on those reviews, whether it's on iTunes, whether it's on Stitcher, that weirdly does help us with the algorithm. All of this stuff helps people find us in the Star Wars podcast universe. So please would love some of those. Uh, Now, we ran out of time today, but if you want your thoughts on the show, please email us at livingforcepod at utini.com. And we'll try to get to those questions on future episodes. Tweet at us at livingforcepod or join our Uchini Discord. Charles, you mentioned it a bunch today. Um, We are super active on there talking about all things Star Wars. You can go to Uteni.com slash Discord for that. You can also find us all on Twitter personally. I am at Eric Eilerson. Charles is at C. Hankel. And even though he's not here, Corey is at Doc Star Wars MD. <laughs> now, a special thank you to Matt Davenport and Freddie, our incredible editors, and Wes, our community manager. Charles, thanks for podcasting with you, man. Thanks for hanging out today. It was a blast. Thanks to all of our audience members for listening. And, of course, may the Force be with you.